When I started this project, there was one interview that had been on my list and we we talked about it for a really, really long time and it was rescheduled and it, you know, there's, there's a little bit of technical difficulties that happen when you're trying to interview somebody who had her disabled son in the 50s. So to coordinate all parties so that, you know, technology wasn't going to be an issue because this is a podcast. Long story short, I'm really excited about today's guest. If you remember back to, I think it was season one, my godmother Lou, who is a retired special education teacher, she was on our show. She mentions in that episode her brother, Bobby. Well, today, Lou's mom, Rita, and Lou, Lou's helping, but the two of them are joining us. Rita had her son in the 50s. So I'm going to put a little bit of a trigger warning here that some of the language that is used in this episode is language that is not used today. I've gone back and forth about whether or not I should edit out things like what the doctor said to the brand new mom after her son was born with Down syndrome. But to do the story justice and to make sure that we all understand what it was like in that time, I have left this vocabulary in this episode. So please keep in mind that as she is speaking, there are some things that that are said that other people said to her that in this day and age, quite frankly, I would be horrified if somebody said some of these things to me, my child, my child's friends, your children, anybody. So please keep that in mind as you listen. This is a really cool episode. And I'm, I'm glad you're here. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story, let you laugh, let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. When Autumn Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. Okay, so let's start with welcome to When Autumn Comes. 
I am really, really excited to have this conversation. And we have two guests sitting on the other side of the screen today that we're having some technical difficulties and I can't see y'all, but we have two guests. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? I am Rita McCain. I have the son, Bobby, who was born with Down syndrome. And I'm Lou McCain, her daughter. And I taught special ed Down syndrome kids for 43 years. And Lou has been on our show before. We can link to that episode in our show notes. But this has been a conversation that I know Diane and I had wanted to have for a really long time. And this is a a very impromptu interview on Thanksgiving morning. So thank you both for doing this. Now, I feel weird calling you Rita because you're Lou's mom and Lou's my godmother. So I don't really know what to call you right now. But Just call me Rita. <laughs> so you have how many children? Five. Five children. And where was Bobby in the the run of children? He was the fourth. The fourth child. And he is your child with Down syndrome. Yes. Now, when was Bobby born? 1958. And having a child in the 50s with a disability, what was that like? I assume you didn't know that something was wrong when you were pregnant. No, I did not. Okay. So what was it like when you had Bobby and were the doctors concerned or anything like that? Yes. They brought Bobby to me after he was born. And I said, this is not my child because he looked so different. He had slanted eyes. His skin was very rough. It was almost like elephant-type wrinkly skin. And they had a very bad hump on the back of his neck, very thick. Mm-hmm. And so I said, this is not my child, because I could have picked my children out of the nursery. So they okay. took him back, and the doctors were waiting to get in touch with Bill to get him to come. And, of course, he was out of town. So I went several hours without being able to have Bill there or to talk to the doctors. And Bill is her husband, by the way. Aside from having a baby, you had a baby without your partner there. Yes. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> that alone, gosh. Yeah, and he happened to be out of town. That was his work. So uh-huh. anyway, they did get in touch with him, and he came to the hospital, and the doctor we met, and then they told me, that we had a Mongolian idiot. That was the term at that time. And you talk about shock. I had never heard that term before. And I had no idea what it meant. And then they said that he would never be normal, that he would need to be placed in a special home for children with his condition, that we would not be able to raise him at home. And that was not true. So Bill and I made the decision before I left the hospital that we were taking him home with us and we were going to raise him as normally as his condition allowed us to. So we took him home and that was the beginning of our journey with Bobby. So after he was born and they said, that he was, I'm not even going to repeat what you said. They said he was called. 
they wanted to take him from you and take him straight to a institution or facility? No, no, not that. They just said it would, we would have to place him that we would not be able to, to take care of him. He needed to be somewhere that were accustomed to taking care of children like this. Mm. And we okay. said, no, we're going to take him home and we're going to raise him with our other children. And that's what we did. We had to make some arrangements because we were all accustomed to going to church and taking our children to church. And so from there, we began our journey. And I went to the people in the nursery at church and asked them if they had any concerns or any problem with bringing Bobby to church. And everyone sort of thought, I think at the time, they thought we had some monster or something. I mean, this was a term that they were not aware of having children with handicapping conditions of various kinds. So they said no. So when we took him, I think took him to church, I think they were surprised at what a a sweet little child he was. And so Mm -hmm. I think the, the concept that so many people had changed and Bobby was accepted. They saw us bringing him into church. But when we first brought him home, no one came to see us because they thought we had some little person that was going to be deformed or something. So most of our friends stayed away. Which was very different from your other three children. You know, people showed up to when they were born, you know, and brought gifts and what have you. And this was this was different. But we made up our minds, Bill and I did, that we were going to live each day and just deal with whatever came our way. So that's how Bobby. How did it make you feel that no one was coming and no one wanted to be around him because he was different? Well, it made me sad and I missed I missed having people come. So it took a while. Like I say, I, I was really disappointed in a lot of friends that they didn't come. It hurt my feelings. But it changed gradually. And then they came after. It took a while for them to see that he wasn't some little deformed little monster of some kind. I mean, I know Lou is sitting there and she's one of your children. And I, no offense to Lou, but out of all of your kids, Bobby was the most lovely of all of them. <laughs> well, he was, he was a sweet, sweet child. Mm-hmm. And we had some fun times with him. He did some funny things. We kept him home. And we, like I say, we just did day to day. We took him wherever we went. We took him with us. We did not mm-hmm. leave him at home. We did not stick him out of closet, which was the thing that people did at that time. If they had a child that was handicapped, they sort of yeah. kept him in the closet. They didn't expose him. We never went that route. We took him wherever we went. And I think that was, that was good. And I think it helped, maybe helped others. And I'm sure it made a difference for your other children too. I mean, were people judging them at all because of Bobby? I don't think they were judging them per se. 
they just didn't want to be around him because they didn't they didn't know what to expect. Gotcha. They thought they were going to see some child with that really was not that was scary or not what yeah. they thought. Yeah. Well, it like I say, it took a while. It took a while. What was it like when you did he go to school? No. No, he did not go to school. There were no schools in Elizabeth City for children with handicapping positions. That that didn't have it in the schools at that time. There was nothing. There was no such thing as special needs, no classrooms at all. And put in the institution with their answers everything at that time. Yeah, that's true. But it wasn't until till President Kennedy came into be the president of the United States. He had a sibling, Kathleen, that had a handicap in position. So then when things began to change, he put okay. things into motion that addressed handicapped people. That's when you first saw handicap ramps being put in. It took a while. And mm-hmm. I attribute all of that to President Kennedy for addressing this issue of children with handicapping positions. I want to circle back to when I was in the hospital and they said something is wrong with Lorelai before she was born. It was the ultrasound a couple days before. They said something is wrong. And I remember laying there crying, thinking, I don't want a special need. I, I can't do this. I don't want I don't want to do this. This isn't what I envisioned. This isn't like, I can't do this. When you found out that Bobby had extra needs that your other children didn't have, did you immediately go to, we're taking him home, we're making this normal? Or did you have any moments of the fear that other people were having at the same time? Like, I mean, I was like, how in the world do I do this? And I'm here in Laurel. I was born in 2016 and we have so many things available. How did you yourself as an amazing mom take on and be like, no, this is what we're doing? Well, it obviously it took a while. Bill and I had to discuss this. We had our minister there who had Bless his heart. He came to congratulate us on the birth of a son, and he had to come back and say, I'm here to be with you if you need any, if you need any help or any advice, which he had been there early congratulating us before he knew what was happening. But after all of that, with meeting with our minister and Bill and I talked it over, that's when we made the decision that we were taking Bobby home and we were going to just go day by day, as I said previously. Mm-hmm. And we were just going to deal with whatever came our way best we knew how. So that that's how we addressed it. And that's how we, we managed to get through it, was just living it day by day. So there was no schooling options for Bobby. No. And his siblings all went to school. And he stayed home with you, I guess. Yes. What was it like in the 60s and so as all the kids were growing up? And I just imagine the other older kids going off and you staying home with this little love bug that's Bobby. (laughs) 
Did you do you have any good memories or anything from from him growing up? Listen, you I have story after story of one thing that he did. We lost him one day. Could not find him. We scoured the neighborhood. But when every once in a while, if the other kids were maybe fussing or wrestling with each other, he would like hide. And so this day, this is what he had done. I had a, a chair in the living room that had a, a cover over it that came to the floor, although it was up <laughs> on legs. And he had crawled under there and stayed. And we would turn all over looking for him. And that's where he was. And from then on, it was one thing after another. One day, he, when he was older, I'd say about five or six years old, he took his tricycle. And I had been taking a bath upstairs. I had the door locked. And he picked up the chair and put it in front of the door and took the, the deadbolt off, which was way up high. And he slipped out the door. And my neighbor came by and knocked on the door. And I was just getting out of the bathtub. And I had not heard a single noise. And where the tub was, I could, I could hear. She said, Bobby is headed to the boulevard on his tricycle. The only thing I had was a sheer negligee, I mean, cover. And I went not on and ran down the street saying, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. And the more I said, he, the faster he pushed that tricycle. Well, I ended up on the boulevard with a policeman on a motorcycle who had rescued him just as I got there and was taped bringing him back to the sidewalk. And to this day, I did not want to know who that policeman was because they were really exposed. And I said, I put my head down and said, thank you very much. And I took Bobby and we went back home. So <laughs> it was just one of the funny things. But anyway, there were many moments like that because he, he was a little rascal. He, he, was, a, mm -hmm. he was a manipulator. He really mm -hmm. was, even though he was handicapped, he knew just exactly how to push all your buttons. Oh, they all do. And I mean, my children are nonverbal and they know exactly. Lorelai would pull her feeding tube out and twirl it around because she knew she could get what she wanted very quickly if she pulled her feeding tube out. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you notice through the, the decades as he grew up? of things being available for people with disabilities or the people that had extra needs to join into our our communities did you notice the churches being more accepting or schools or anything through all of the years well the schools changed and it, it really wasn't until i would say the 70s that i really noticed any noticeable change and how children with handicapping conditions were accepted. So it took quite a while. Bobby was, at that time, already in Caswell. Which Caswell Center was a home for children with disabilities. Okay. And there were varying stages of disabilities. So our pediatrician, which was a good friend of ours and a wonderful doctor, had suggested that we take Bobby somewhere that could help him. We could not teach him everything. Let me back up just a little bit. 
my bill, I had a good friend, Edmund Miller, who was a doctor. They were friends in high school and in college and roommates. And he was a heart specialist at Duke University. And so he set up an appointment for us to take Bobby to be observed by a pediatrician there to tell us exactly what we could expect from Bobby, how he would progress, to what degree he would progress. And they hit it right on the nose. That the first time that you received an actual Down syndrome diagnosis? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. And at that time, it was very, you know, they didn't think that he would live to be as old as he lived. They figured maybe he might live in his 20s, that he would be, well, I don't know how to say this. He would be a liability and that mm-hmm. we could not keep him at home. He would need to be placed somewhere where they could give him attention that he needed and could train him in areas that we wouldn't be able to be to train him. How did it make you feel thinking about having to send him to somewhere like that? I just said, I can't do it. I just can't send him away. We did get in touch with Caswell, and they told us to to bring him, first of all, for us to come, and they would give us a, a tour of the campus where he might possibly be placed, where they started with very lowest that he would be placed according to his disability. Well, we knew right then that we would not send him there if he were placed in that unit. So we went through the progression, and we decided if if Bobby would be placed in a cottage that we had seen, that that would be fine. If he were not, after being evaluated there, and that we would not take him at all, we would bring him back. Mm-hmm. So after that, we had an appointment. We took him to Caswell, and... We had to leave him for 30 days, and we could not see him at all. And the children went with us. Mm-hmm. And when we left, we left him crying. Uh, hanging on. Mm-hmm. And I still can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. We left and came home. And got through the next 30 days. So um, then we went back and we took all the children with us. And it was the same thing again. So we decided that only one person would go to visit him at a time. And then we would, when we were allowed to bring him home and we'd take him back. He had gotten adjusted to children with his same disability, and they did place him in the cottage. Mm-hmm. So we left him. Mm-hmm. And um, he loved those, those, those children there. He realized that he was with children of his own mentality and disabilities and handicaps, and that he got to the point that 
he looked forward to going back to the boys, as he called them, go warm and go mm-hmm. back and see the boys. And that kind of hurt our feelings because he cut yes. And we'd want him to stay for a while, and he'd say, well, go see the boys, go see the boys. Mm-hmm. So we got past all of the crying stages and leaving him. We realized that he was happy. He was where he needed to be. He was with children that he could interact with. And that was the hour salvation right there. How old was he when he went to Caswell? Seven. Seven. Ooh, Seven gosh, years old. My mom heart is crying with you. I just, I, it's so, I, whew, it's a, it's a huge decision. And, um, well, it's always close to your heart. Yeah. I know friends who now in 2022 are having to face the decision as to whether or not to send their children places like, you know, St. Mary's is something local here in Hampton Roads. And it's not because there aren't necessarily facilities or services for them with school, but their medical needs are far greater than what some people can manage at home right now. And it's, it's never, you know, I I've told those friends, like, it's not like you're failing at this. You're having to make a decision that is the best decision for your child. And even when that hurts us as moms, it's, it's never, you know, it here, however many, I'm not going to say how old you are, but however many years later, it still brings you to tears thinking about sending him there. And well, one of the things that we did learn when we first made that tour of Caswell, that realizing that he needed to be trained, toilet trained completely, Mm -hmm. that would make a big difference in where he was placed because those with lower mentality were were still in diapers and just, it it was heart-wrenching to go through there. And I thought, there's no way that we can leave Bobby if he were placed in that particular situation. And so we graduated to to these cottages. And so we went home and I was determined. Now, I think I was trained, not Bobby, when he needed to go to the bathroom. Yeah. But we got through that and he he got the point that, okay, this is what I need to do. So when we took him to Caswell, he was totally potty trained mm-hmm. and had been for some time. So that was my key focus at that point was to get him potty trained so that he would not even, that he would be able to take care of his bathroom needs without help. So that was a big step right there. And he was placed in the cot. Okay. So as his sister, how did you feel when he went to Caswell at seven? Well, I didn't like it. We missed him. I remember pulling away at that time. Mom and dad had a station wagon and it had a third seat that faced backwards. Mm -hmm. So as we were pulling away, I saw Bobby fleeing to the people and he was hauling for my mama, you know, to... Please not leave him. There was one. Yeah. Yep. 
But as as the time passed and you realized that he was thriving there, did it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He and, and he thrived. Yes. And after years were gone, I, you know, I attended uh, East Carolina, which was only 30 minutes from where council was. So I would go there on weekends and mm-hmm. see him. And, you know, once I took him out for his favorite hammer and Pepsi Cola and French fries, he was ready to go back to the boys. <laughs> He's like, he was done with me. You fit me, so take me back to the boys. So we all knew a place on top of that. At that point, Bobby had a girlfriend named Abigail. Oh. With. I mean, they really loved each other. So seeing that and watching him, you know, hug her and kiss her and all that, we like it made all of us very happy. And they danced. We went there for different times that they had festivals. And he and Abigail would get out there and dance. They were really cute. Yeah. So, but she, you were she was more advanced than Bobby. And she sort of was like bossy. A bossy. <laughs> Why? He got himself a bossy lady. They yeah. had him a bossy lady that would tell him what to do. And he listened. So he was able to stay at Caswell then a majority of his life, correct? Yes. Yes. And he died at 53. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he lived to 53. That's amazing when they told you when he was born that he wasn't going to survive. Right. Right. Well, he had a bout with rheumatic fever at the age of 14. And we were called to to Caswell. And they sent him to Raleigh. And it was, and he stayed there. And for I don't know how many weeks until he recovered, and then when he went back to Caswell, I remember that when that happened, Susan, and they basically were told, you know, start planning, yeah, for his funeral. That's they, right. They didn't think that he was going to make it. But he, no, the little bugger pulled through. He did. <laughs> he did. He bounced right back. Uh huh. Okay. So. Now, nowadays, one of the the terms that is used a lot is that moms are advocating for their children all the time. They were advocating for more rights for our kids or more accessibility for our children. And to me, it seems like you were kind of a kickstarter of that being like, no, I'm not sending him away. I said, no way we were going to send him away. Exactly. And so what was that like for you to be one of the few people in the very beginning who was like, no, this is, yes, he's different, but we are going to be different and it'll be okay. Yes. And we, we our whole family was became, were different. They became loving people, young people who had a, a, a sibling with these handicapping conditions and it made them more tolerant of other people with handicapping conditions. Mm -hmm. And so that was a blessing. And it taught our children compassion, compassion. And it, I'm sure it made your community also see that, you know, he wasn't quote unquote a monster and that. People in our church just loved Bobby. And mm-hmm. when, even before he went to Caswell, and when he would come home and stay the holidays and vacation time in the summer, 
particularly at Christmas time, he would be home and we'd always have this midnight service and mm-hmm. he, they'd sing Joy to the World. That was his very favorite Christmas hymn. He would sing lighter than in, in his monotone voice. <laughs> Not, his dad and I were sitting in the choir and we could hear Bobby sing down on the front row in this monotone voice, Joy to the World. Uh, <laughs> fun times. I, and to think, you know, it was just such a being a Christian and, you know, we are all God's children and that a part of our society was saying he's a monster, send him away, yet he's one of God's children and he yeah. is one of the purest forms of God's children, you yes. know? He was that. But, you know, and it was it was just so hard warming to see how many people in the church would come up and hug Bobby and everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. But I must tell you one funny story about Lou that has to do with Bobby. We were at church one Sunday and Bill and I both sang in the choir and we were changing our robes when uh, her sister Joy came running up to the choir room and said, Mama, Mama, come quick. Lou has flattened Randall on the parking lot, and Randall was the son of our organist and choir director. But he had called Bobby a retard, and Lou laid him out on the parking lot. So Joy said, Come quick. I got to see what Lou has done. I thought, Oh my goodness. And Randall was the only child of our organist, and his mother sang alto in the choir. And I thought, oh, my. I told Bill when we got home, I said, we're going to get a call from Janet, so you may as well be prepared. We never got that phone call. The only thing we we figured out was that Randall wasn't about to tell his mama that a girl had had punched him out in the parking lot and so, i am sure he never called anybody that ever again they, they never called he didn't never call bobby that again anyway nope nope lou do you remember that oh yeah i certainly i was so <laughs> glad i mean when he said that to bobby being the type of child that he was bobby was so innocent he had no idea that what mm-hmm. randall said to him was so offensive and so hurtful. You know, he just smiled. Well, you know, he just, as mom says, I mean, we grew up a boo and we were very, very protective of, of him. And it just all him flew into me, is all I can say. And I was bound to drum him for knocking him on his butt for saying that about my brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. funny stories. We have a lot of funny stories of Bobby. I'm curious, as a mom who, you know, now Bobby has passed, and I am a mom who one of my two children has passed, being a special needs mom has greatly shaped the human that I am. And all these years later, do you still feel like a special needs mom? Do you still feel like, you know, I mean, because this is this is who we are and not everybody can relate to this. Yes, yes. And, you know, that's just why I just love Lou's children. 
in her class. I love seeing all of that. And and then when she was interviewed on TV with her kids, that just was so heartwarming. I was so proud of her and I was so proud of what she had done through the years with her kids to see how they had advanced. And yeah, I won't go into naming all the little ones that were special, <laughs> but um, that was great to see what she had accomplished. Because Whereas with Bobby, Bobby, he wasn't invited to school, but now Lou was able to have a right. River Bucks program where her students were able to have jobs at school. And they had jobs. And look, how many she'd put out in the community that, that did get jobs in the community. Yeah. Which was just so, so great. I mean, if she'd mm-hmm. only been able to put one child in the community on, in a job mm-hmm. would have been an accomplishment. But look how many she did. And then I look at these, then they started Biddy and Bones. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that? I'm not. There's one in Wilmington. And it's, they're all, it's a coffee shop. And it's okay. run by all children with, with special needs. Yeah. Special needs children. And they do, they all dress up and they, they can, they, and Lou taught her kids you know, had to change money and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And these kids run Biddy and Bose. I don't know. Okay. Is there one in Virginia oh, Beach? They're, they're, they're getting, getting ready to open one. Getting ready to open one. But they're all okay. living stuff in there. They've got like That's eight awesome. nine grandchildren. But that was my first experience with Biddy and Bose in Wilmington because I have grandchildren that that live in mm-hmm. Wilmington. And mm-hmm. I visited there. And that was such a wonderful experience to go there and have them serve coffee and see what they had done. And they were all dressed, and they were they were beautiful children. And very mm-hmm. accepted by yeah. everybody that came in. Right. Yeah, my nephew actually told me that people in Wilmington would go out of their way in the mornings or the, during the day to go to Benny and Bo's for their coffee rather than Starbucks because mm-hmm. they want to see those kids. Yeah, yeah. And so the kids, you know, they greet you. They're happy. The personalities were just blooming. So mm-hmm. Lou almost started that <laughs> with her with with her river bucks, mm-hmm. and uh, I did go up there and help her a couple of times. And it was her runners that would come and get the the, the orders that they had, and then take them to the classroom and see them yep. interact with people. So out of Bobby being born, I can relate to so many instances where things have evolved. He it's the a... ripple effect of Bobby, you know, yeah. like he and was that just, stone yeah. that was thrown into the water and it ripples out and touches. Still going on. Yeah. Well, and and even with me and, you know, knowing Bobby and knowing how much joy he was made it easier for me as I entered my journey as a special needs mom, because I saw how much joy he brought to your family. And I, you know, it, it, it's that ripple effect from, from him. So he is continuing to make a difference. And just by sharing your story today, he's continuing to make a difference. Yes. He was a happy child, always a happy child. If you were to give a piece of advice or a brief message to a mom who is early in her journey as a medical or special needs mom or a Down syndrome mom, do you have anything that you would tell her? 
love them. Just love them. Yep. And I have one more question for you, and then I'm going to let you go eat your turkey. Um, we wrap up every episode with one one question. And it seems fitting because, you know, right now it's Thanksgiving when we're recording this and everybody says, what are you grateful for? And some of us have had really hard years and really hard things happen. So instead of asking you what you're grateful for today, I'm going to ask what gives you hope today? What gives me hope is that I love God. I love my church. I have a special bond with Jesus. I feel that without His guidance and my belief, I would have never survived going through the things that I went through with Bobby. And so that is what I hope for everyone who is dealing with children with handicapping positions that just love them because they're special people. They will love you back, take care of them, and always do for them what you would do if if you did what you would do if what you consider a child without special needs. Do for them, guide them through their journey in life and encourage them. And that is my hope that everyone with a child with special needs will do do this for their child. Because we are all God's children. Yes, we are. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending a little bit of time with me today. I am very, very grateful, even though I just said what makes what makes us hopeful. But I am very grateful that I got to spend a little bit of time with you. And if you ever want to share more stories, you know where to come. I'll give you a microphone. <laughs> well, you give that sweet little boy of yours a hug for me. He is precious. I have enjoyed everything that you have posted with him. He is adorable. Just adorable. Has the prettiest blue eyes. He did. Oh. Laurel, I got the hair and he got the eyes. I wish <laughs> he had the prettiest hair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's good that oh. I didn't have one kid with both good hair and good eyes because they would just be too attractive to ever look at. So, but well, thank you for being here and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. So first of all, just like I always do, I want to say thank you to Rita and Lou for being here. But I also really want to say, again, thank you, Rita, for the advocacy that you did for children like mine in the 50s when it wasn't a thing. You know, right now there are moms who are starting their journey 50 years after you that are not facing the things that you you faced on a daily basis when your son was born. And they're not facing some of those things because you did it for us. So thank you. 
Thank you for being an advocate. Thank you for being the mom that you are and were. And I'm so grateful that I am able to know you guys and that I was able to know Bobby. And yeah, just thank you. This is Suze, and I am going to go walk around the neighborhood, get some fresh air. Have a good one, guys.